Hey, Julia here. A quick announcement before we get started. Spirits is doing a live show in New York City on July 15th. We'll be in person at Caveat and live streamed online so you can see us either in person or on your computer. Tickets are available now at spiritspodcast.com live or you can click the link in the description. We hope to see you there. And now let's get to the episode. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 292. It's all Greek to me, baby, covering the great Greek boozy god of Dionysus. Yeah, Amanda, this is it. This is our last of It's All Greek to Me, finally fulfilling the promise of Spirits Podcast by Spirits Podcast. How did it happen? I don't know. We we did all the episodes. That's how it <laughs> happened. Time goes on despite our best efforts. It does. And when I was deciding and like kind of scheduling out these episodes, I decided I wanted to go out with a bang. And so for this final episode, we are covering the party god himself, Dionysus. Yay! This may actually be the god I know the most about. Tell me what you know. So Dionysus is a goat-related god, right? Is he a, a, a satyr? A satyr? He's associated with satyrs. They're often okay. in his retinue. But he himself, you're thinking of Pan, maybe? Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But all about the libations, all about the party, all about the good times, all about just letting it roll. A star of the play The, the Bacchae, which I saw in, in London once and was really fucked up and uh, made an impression on me. <laughs> well, don't worry, Amanda. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Yay! So as you pointed out, Dionysus, has quite a few domains. He is the god of wine, of revelry, of pleasure, and of theater. Mm -hmm. As theater kids, we loved Dionysus, and that was even before we could drink. That's true. It was said that wherever he went, satyrs, like you mentioned, his followers who are the maenads, which literally translates to the raving ones, and of course, good times, they would all follow. I mean, pretty good. Pretty kind of the first god you want to invite to your party if you're prepared for things to get a little bit wild. Exactly. But as you mentioned, as the god of wine, he isn't always just about a good time, and there are more than a few stories where he's a bit of a chaotic and messy god. But he also wouldn't be an Olympian if he wasn't kind of a mess, in my opinion. I feel like there's one god on Mount Olympus that is not a mess, and that is our sweet, sweet girl, Hestia. True. She's like, come on, guys, I just cleaned. Exactly. So kind of to get us started, we recently talked about in the Hestia episode about how Hestia is often this like forgotten member of the Olympians and sometimes her throne on Olympus is given to Dionysus instead. Notably, Homer does not list Dionysus among the Olympians, even though later scholars do. And this is probably because he, much like a lot of the other gods, entered the Greek pantheon as a foreign deity who is later assimilated into the Greek canon. That makes sense. It just so happens that he was probably incorporated later compared to some of the other gods and goddesses. And while scholars aren't really sure exactly what his origins are, many of them cite his foreign origins to the fact that Dionysus, like in his mythological tales, spends most of his like young adulthood and early stories wandering the world only to arrive back in Greece to be worshipped. Right on. Not a bad homecoming when you think about it. Exactly. We'll we'll talk about that homecoming a little bit. (laughs) 
I like when scholars disagree about things. So there is a scholar named Cornelia Isler Kareni who believes that worship by the ancient Mycenaeans of a wine god were actually some of the earliest aristocratic worships of the god that either was or would become Dionysus. So these ones predate even some of the other like canonical Greek gods that we are talking about in the It's All Greek to Me series. I mean, as always, you think about what's fundamental to humanity, it's home, it's agriculture, it's love, and it's pleasure. Exactly. And God, if you have money, of course you want all those things. Oh, yeah. So this dichotomy is also really interesting because it is also reflected in the way that the ancient Greeks portrayed Dionysus in their art and depiction. So sometimes he was this androgynous youth. Sometimes he was portrayed as this older bearded man. So it all kind of comes back down to, hey, where did this guy come from again? We're not sure. Yeah, I guess when I think about it, I picture Dionysus as very youthful and also kind of like lithe, maybe androgynous, not necessarily a kind of like patriarchal figure or, you know, head of a family type thing, not older and wiser. I kind of picture a like live fast, die young type. That's actually really interesting. The latter, I think, comes from the Roman tradition of Bacchus, who I think is a little bit more like a drunk wine uncle. In mm-hmm. a way. Very much. He's a portly, happy, older man, which I think is a more encouraged image in Roman imagery than it is in Greek imagery. And I think the Greeks preferred the kind of like androgynous young Dionysus, which is why you probably picture it when you think of him. Yeah. Greeks also had some body image issues that I'm sure scholarship has covered. <laughs> mm, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. That is the origins of the kind of like worship of Dionysus among the ancient Greeks. But the story of his birth is a different story entirely. But um, let's hear it. Of course, there's a bunch of different versions because naturally this is Greek mythology and we can't agree on anything. The one that is probably most oftenly told is Dionysus being the son of Semele, who was the princess of Thebes and the daughter of Cadmus, who was the king of Thebes. We talked about Cadmus. If you'll remember, he got turned into a dragon. Mm -hmm. Naturally, Semele is the perfect daughter in that way. She is the daughter of Harmonia as well, and we know Harmonia is great. And so while she was performing a sacrifice of a bull on the altar of Zeus, Zeus took one look at her and fell in love. As happens with Zeus. As happens. So Zeus came to her disguised as a human, and they began a consensual romantic affair. Good for Zeus on that one. Shocking. It did not, however, take long for Hera to find out about it. And jealous of Semele, Hera too disguised herself as a mortal and kind of ingratiated herself into Semele's court. So becoming her friend, Semele revealed to Hera that she was pregnant with Zeus's child. And so Hera, in an act of revenge, planted the seed of doubt in Semele's head. She basically like told her that despite Zeus's claims of being a god, she's like, oh, I, don't, I don't really know if he's a god. What if he's just some guy who's telling you that he's a god? Oh my god, this is this is like high drama. Listen, the Greeks love drama. The Greeks basically invented drama in a lot of ways. Yeah. But like... This is like some soap opera stuff, and I love it. This is like beat for beat could see on the old or new seasons of Gossip Girl. And and that's how I know that like humanity has some greatest hits that we just trot out again and again. Yeah. So Hera's basically like, hey, this might just be like a guy and he's telling you that he's a god. And then the minute you have his child, he's just going to disappear and leave you in the wind. Yeah. Be like, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just me. But like, I'm looking out for you, girl. Like, oh, my God, it's so conniving. 
It feels very much like this is going to be a throwback. Do you remember the Real Housewives of Orange County? Of course I do. The one housewife was like dating that guy who like claimed he had cancer but didn't uh-huh. actually have cancer and everyone's telling her like, girl, it does not seem like what he's saying is real. And she's like, no, no, it's all true. He's suffering. And he, yeah, he didn't have cancer. Or 2022 edition of the Tinder Swindler. Like it just, it happens again and again. This is what it is. But Hera's lying. I know. Also talk about like heresy, but I'm ch- against, you but know. I'm- the god of all gods like that is a bold claim i love that well so basically she's like you know how you could tell what you could do is ask him to swear on the river sticks that he'll do whatever you ask and then you ask him to show himself in like his godly glory okay i mean and semley's like that's a great idea sure and so semley does that Zeus is madly in love with her. So he's like, yes, of course, I will swear whatever you want on the river sticks. And that is like a not like legally binding, but it is like a soul binding contract when you swear on the river sticks. Much like Hera planted the seed in Semele's mind, she asks, I want to see you in all of your glory and majesty. Zeus disrobes. She's like, no, 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 not like that. Not like that. We already saw that. <laughs> so Zeus, having sworn this oath, he tries in vain to get her to change her request, but he fails and he must comply. And so he appears to her in his form of thunder and lightning and fire, which both terrifies and overpowers Semele, and she is caught in the like literal blaze of his glory, gives a premature birth to her child. Oh no. And then is burned away herself. Oh shit. Wow. So it's a rough time for poor Semele. She was tricked. She really did have the thing that she thought she had, which is great. Either way, in some stories, it's Zeus. In other stories, it's Hermes. Basically, they save the child from the flames. Zeus cuts open his thigh, inserts the child, and then sews it back up until Dionysus, who is the child, reaches his maturity. Hence, one of Dionysus's epithets is Demetor or twice born. Right on. Isn't that cool? That is very cool and reminds me of, I'm sure, Shakespeare's source material from Macbeth. Oh, yeah, exactly. Not of woman born. Julia, the number of times that somebody mentions C-sections and I say, oh, not of woman born, huh? And they're like, what? It happens a fair amount. There you go. So there are a couple of other stories about Dionysus's birth, though not as involved as the story here. In some tales, Dionysus's mother is either Demeter or Io or Persephone, who in that version of the story gives birth to Dionysus while in the form of a serpent, which I think is kind of neat. Sick. This makes Dionysus the only one of the Olympians who is not born of two deities, which is something that we will talk a little bit about later. Like he has a literal mortal mother. Wow. And in any other case, that would make him a demigod. But in this case, he is a full-fledged Olympian. Tell me why. After Dionysus was born, rather than raise the child himself, Zeus gave baby Dionysus to the nymphs of Nyssa to raise him, who are apparently very beautiful, but also no one had like ever seen them. So it's just kind of hearsay. (laughs) They're like, they were so beautiful. No man had ever seen them. And we're like, how do we know that? (laughs) When eventually he was old enough, he left the mountain to travel the world, like we mentioned before. And during his travels, one of the first stories that we learn about is when he meets a young satyr whose name is Ampelos. And Dionysus falls in love with Ampelos. One day, Dionysus has a vision of Ampelos dying on the horns of a bull. And so he's like, listen, babe, you got to stay away from bulls. <laughs> okay. Please, All right. Just stay Good away from bulls. Which obviously makes sense if you have a vision of someone dying a certain way. Maybe avoid that thing. Totally. However, Ampelos 
does not listen, goes out riding a bull. No, that's the one thing. And as he's doing so, he taunts Selene, who is the goddess of the moon. And here's a little excerpt of what he says when he's mocking her. For context, Selene is associated with like usually cows and, and horns and whatnot, as well as the moon. So he goes, he shouted boldly to the full-faced moon, give me best Selene, horned driver of cattle. Now I am both. I have horns and I ride a bull. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. Isn't that like such a sassy but silly, like being like, oh, look at me. I'm riding a bull. Exactly. <laughs> Don't taunt any gods or goddesses is the, the main plot of this entire series. Don't make eye contact with Zeus and don't taunt anyone or say you're prettier than them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Celine sends a gadfly to bother another bull, which then gores Ampelos, which completes the vision that Dionysus had seen. Dionysus finds the body of Ampelos and weeps over it, and in his grief transforms the body into the grapevine. Wow. Yes. So Dionysus realizes that he can transform grapes into wine, which is red, like his lover's blood. And as such, and in memory of Ampelos, Dionysus shares the discovery of wine with mankind, which solidifies it as part of his domain. I mean, that's that's kind of beautiful, but also really tragic and makes me think of Dionysus as like a grieving, you know, wine drunk, which is sad. Well, yeah, you know, th there's something about wine that sometimes makes us feel nice and also so sometimes it makes us feel real sad. That's true. Wine sad is just like a particular flavor of sad too, where it's like, I feel like I'm a little bit more weepy when I'm wine sad. I know. I, I really channel Olivia Pope and I'm, I'm just kind of sitting there and reading my poetry and sitting in my feels. <laughs> As I said, Dionysus discovers wine, wants to share it with mankind. And one of the first people that Dionysus shares the knowledge of winemaking with is a Athenian shepherd named Icarius. Also, as a quick aside, just for our listeners sake, this story does feature suicide. So if you want to skip over this one, I'd say like about five minutes or so. Icarius was one night visited by Dionysus, who was disguised as a mortal. Icarius is super incredibly hospitable to his unexpected guest. And as a reward, Dionysus teaches him how to tend grapevines and make wine. Pretty good reward for a one night of hospitality. Exactly. So eventually, Icarius makes his first batch of wine, which is very exciting, and shares his yield with his neighbors, trying to spread the word about wine. Like, look how cool this is. We're all going to have a great time. You know, that's an evangelism I can get behind, Julia. Yes. Somebody being like, hey, if you're into it, this stuff's great. That's great. Exactly. So after a night of drinking, all of the neighbors are having a grand old time. But as the night goes on, Icarius is surrounded and then killed by his neighbors who, never having been drunk before, believed that Icarius had poisoned them. No. Also probably because they weren't watering down the wine like they should have been. Yeah. Also, I, I wish that instead they were like, hey, does everyone want to have sex? Like, I, I want to kiss you. Is that cool with you? <laughs> like, that, that's the other version. That was probably like the <laughs> the right before everyone gets yeah, absolutely yeah. plastered and throwing oh. up everywhere. Yeah. Oh, no. Icarius's dog, Mera, sees the murder and encourages Icarius's daughter, Aragone, to search for her father's body. When she discovers what has been done to Icarius, Aragone dies by suicide, praying to the gods that her father's killers would not go free. Ugh. 
This inspires the murderers to be brought to justice, and both Mera and Aragonie are placed in the stars by Dionysus, or in some stories, Zeus on Dionysus's behalf, as the constellations Procyon and Virgo. I mean, a beautiful tribute, but ugh, I wish it didn't have to happen. Yeah, yeah. Very sad, but also one kind of highlights the, like, both sides of the coin when it comes to Dionysus and wine, and we'll talk a lot about that later, but also is kind of a a fitting tribute and another story about, hey, how did we get those constellations again? Oh, it was a dog and a lady. Yeah. Ampelos was not the only person that Dionysus fell in love with during his travels. Another was Ariadne, who was the daughter of King Minos, who famously helped the hero Theseus kill the Minotaur after she fell in love with Theseus. However, when Theseus took her away, he stopped on the island of Naxos, and Theseus left her there, kind of just abandoned her. There's a various different reasons why he left her there. Sometimes there's a storm and he gets like swept away. Sometimes it's a bunch of other things. But the particular story that I'm thinking of is he's afraid of the optics of bringing the Cretan princess to Athens after King Minos demanded all of these human sacrifices. You know, that's a real should have thought of that before you invited someone on your ship situation. Yeah, yeah. Should have thought about that when she saved your life, my guy. You wouldn't have been able to do all that. You'd be dead if it wasn't for her. Yeah. But sure, the optics. In her despair, Dionysus finds Ariadne and falls in love with her. There are various stories that kind of go from there. Uh, Most of them end with Ariadne dying a mortal death because she is immortal. Sure. Uh, And Dionysus descends into the underworld and brings her back to Olympus, where she is granted immortality and becomes a goddess, one who historically is worshipped alongside Aphrodite in Cyprus. Not bad company in the end. Yeah, not too bad. Ariadne, however, Amanda, is not the first person that Dionysus retrieved from the underworld. Say what? Yes, but we will get to that story once we get back from our refill. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Julia, we made it. Welcome to the refill. Hey, Amanda. I I see a snack over there. What have you got this time? Yes, we have some absolutely fabulous watermelon, basil, feta salad, vegan feta. Ooh. It's actually good. Wow. That's impressive. Again, you're killing it with the vegan cheeses lately, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying. Also, there's nothing more summery than a watermelon feta basil salad. There really isn't. And I made sure to set aside some in the fridge so it would be cold for when our newest patrons, Toothy Monster and Kristen, arrived. That's so nice, Amanda. Oh, my goodness. I also personally really like a little bit of arugula in with my watermelon salad, but that's just a personal preference. But I bet people like our supporting producer level patrons, Alicia, Anne, Daisy, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Nieselkins, Lily, Little Vomit Spiders running around, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmo, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie. I bet they all like it with arugula, too. So I made it right. Oh, yeah. And if they don't, I absolutely have more in the fridge with modifications galore for those legend-level patrons. Ariana, Audra, Bex, Clara, Iron Havoc, Morgan, Mother of Vikings, Sarah, and Bia. Me up. Scotty. And if you want to join the party with these incredible patrons who help us make this show a reality and get stuff like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for your own parties, you can go to patreon.com slash spiritspodcast. It is absolutely worth it. We would love to see you there. Now, Amanda, what have you been enjoying on these nice, beautiful summer eves here in New York? 
Julia, over the last three days, I have absolutely inhaled a trilogy of books by one of my favorite queer historical romance authors, Mm -hmm. K.J. Charles, Mm -hmm. the City Vice series. And two of the three feature disabled protagonists, which is amazing. And all of them are queer love stories that also have a mystery running throughout all three novels. You know that I love a mystery. I love a historical romance. I love queer romance of all types. K.J. Charles is a fabulous author to start with. Someone actually asked in the Multitude Discord recently that they were looking for recommendations of romance books that involve mystery. And this was one that I recommended. So I totally totally love it. And you can start with the first book in that series, An Unseen Attraction. I can't believe how many boxes that checks out for you. <laughs> I know. It, it is truly everything I ever wanted. And you know what checks out? A lot of boxes for me, Amanda. People buying our tickets to our next live show. Join us this Friday, people. Friday. Friday. Come right now. It is going to be great. Buy your tickets. It's going to be awesome. You could either buy in-person tickets to see us live in New York City at Caveat. You can buy the live stream tickets because then you get to see our faces but don't have to come to New York. Or you can buy the VOD after the fact and watch us not live, but our faces. Absolutely. Even if it's the future, you got to go to spiritspodcast.com slash live and pick up that VOD, baby. And Amanda, I think the summertime is the perfect time to get a pen pal. Do you know how the people can perhaps get a pen pal? Maybe and also support Multitude and Multitude shows? Yes, you should join the multi-crew. So you may be supporting Spirits and or other Multitude shows on Patreon. That's amazing. Thank you. If you want to also support Multitude as a whole, the work we are doing, us coming up with new shows, new things, and investing back in our community, you should join the multi-crew. And one fabulous perk that people asked for and our fabulous community manager, Rue, has just added is a pen pal program where I think we have 40 or 50 people who have been paired with pen pals and you can exchange physical letters, digital letters, or even there's an option to be like, hey, I want to have just like casual correspondence. That's not like a whole letter, but it's just kind of like making a new friend. It is so wholesome. It is lovely. And you got to join. And you can join for as little as $5 a month at multicrew.club and get signed up for our pen pal exchange right now. That's multicrew.club. So You know how life just is sometimes like you look at your calendar when you wake up in the morning and your life is just full of to do's. You got laundry, you got emails, you got errands, you got cooking. And before you know it, you have to do it all over again tomorrow. And that is exhausting. So when is there time to focus on what you need, both like mentally and calming? And I gave it away. You can use calm (laughs) to prioritize your most important to do, which is taking time for yourself every single day. And we're partnering with Calm, which is the number one wellness app to give you the tools you need to improve the way you feel. You can reduce stress with their guided meditations. You can improve focus with their curated music tracks. And of course, we love their imaginative sleep stories, both for kids and adults. And they even have these new daily movement sessions, which are designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. It also gets me moving in the morning, which I really, really love. And for listeners of our show, Calm is offering an exclusive 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. Go to calm.com slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash spirits. And Julia, one of the things that I treasure most in my day is getting into bed at the end of the day into my buttery soft, my Brooklinens. Mmm, Amanda, 
I just think about the buttery softs and I just want to go lay back in my bed again. I know. it's It truly can be a problem sometimes, but it is hot outside and I like to keep my bed crispy cool. And normally it's challenging to be able to find a sheet where like I know that it is hot outside, but I want my bed to be cold, but I don't want to be too cold, but I don't want to make it too cold. I have to burrow under a ton of blankets and wake up sweating. And truly there is nothing like a Brooklyn and sheet to keep me feeling refreshed, keeping me cool while also keeping me warm. I don't know how they do it, but they do. Yeah. And not only that, they have cool loungewear as well, which include like t-shirts and tanks and shorts that will help you keep comfortable throughout the summer heat waves. Thanks to ultra soft, breathable jersey and cotton fabrics. Ooh, Brooklyn. And you know how to talk to me. They are absolutely fabulous. And again, whether you are sleeping hot over the summer and you need a refresh or you just want to treat yourself to a little bit of luxury and make your daily routine that much better with sheets or towels or robes or loungewear, head over to Brooklyn today to keep your cool at home and on the go all summer long. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code SPIRITS to get $20 off your purchase of $100 or more plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code SPIRITS for $20 off plus free shipping. And finally, Julia, now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. I know both of us try to make time during each day to take care of ourselves, take care of our minds. What's something that you've been trying recently? Uh, Amanda, I think for me, I have just been trying to make sure I take a break in the middle of the day. So for me, it's sitting outside on my new hammock, which I'm very excited about, (gasps) and just decompressing for about an hour before I get back to work. That is really lovely. I definitely try to take time every day to like close my eyes and turn my face toward the sun like I'm a plant. Mm -hmm. And imagining myself as a plant definitely helps me to do that. But something else I do on a weekly basis is talk to my therapist and I see her through BetterHelp because it is more affordable and more convenient and lets me make options and like do therapy in a way that actually benefits me in a way that's much, much easier than doing traditional in-person therapy. BetterHelp is, of course, an online therapy app that has video, phone, and live chat therapy sessions. So sometimes if I'm on the road, I will do a live chat with my therapist, I'll do a phone call, or if I'm at my computer, I'll do a video call. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, and if you ever need to switch a therapist, if you're not getting along, if you're not vibing, if you're just looking for something different or their approach doesn't suit you, you can change therapists for free, which is not how it works in the real world. And there is no fee, there's no limit. You can go through several people until you find someone who is a match. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash spirits. That's betterhelp.com slash spirits. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill when you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by jd power you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible visit your local kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by jd power kia movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And now let's get back to the show. So Amanda, there are are a bunch of great wine cocktails that seem like they'd be good fits for Dionysus. But I decided, why not just go for the classic, right? Red sangria. Oh, Julia, there's nothing I want more in the summertime. Or if a strawberry is like, just about to turn and I don't really want it or I've baked all the strawberries I can bake, throw it in some red wine, baby, make sangria. Exactly. Peaches also are a classic one for me, at least in my family. And basically, like, it's it's perfect for summertime, like you said. It highlights the wine as well as this idea that Dionysus is the god of, like, the fruit of the vine, which isn't necessarily just grapes, right? It's pretty much, like, great for making in big batches to share with your friends. Rest in peace, Icarius, but we're different. (laughs) I highly recommend it. Love it. So now that I've left you on that little teaser from before the episode and we're back with our sangria, let's get to Dionysus's first trip into the underworld, which was to rescue his mother. Oh. So I'm going to tell you it the way that Edith Hamilton tells it, because I think it's a really good summary of everything and all that he got up to up until the moment he's like, listen, I should go get my mother. So here's the quote from Edith. The mother whom he had never seen was not forgotten. He longed for her so greatly that at last he dared the terrible descent to the lower world to seek her. When he found her, he defied the power of death to keep her from him, and death yielded. Dionysus brought her away, but not to live on earth. He brought her up to Olympus, where the gods consented to receive her as one of themselves, a mortal indeed, but the mother of a god, and therefore fit to dwell with immortals. Man, death yielded. Is there like a more powerful two-word sentence? Wow. Not in Greek mythology, because death very rarely yields in Greek mythology. Totally. Edith, obviously, beautifully summarized. Love that for you, girl. The best. Edith, I have a Nora Ephron-sized glass of wine waiting for you whenever you want to, like, ghostily come over. Yeah, come come sip our ghost wine. So, Semele, as you can imagine, was brought to Olympus and was made herself a goddess, was renamed Thione, and her domain became the frenzy that her son inspired. So that kind of Bacchanalia, which obviously we we get the phrase from from Bacchus, which is Dionysus's Roman counterpart. Speaking of which, actually, let's talk about the worship and the followers of Dionysus. So first things first, let's kind of talk about the duality of Dionysus. So he is a god, but he is born both of a immortal and a mortal parent. But at the same time, he is born of an immortal parent. So he is born of both Semele and of Zeus, again, getting that epithet, which means twice born. Mm -hmm. 
He is a divine Olympian who spends more time with mortals, even more so than, for example, Hermes, who we talked a lot about in his episode. He is depicted as both masculine and feminine. Associated with theater, he represents both tragedy and comedy. He is both the revelry of intoxication and the hangover that comes after. Speaking of that revelry, let's talk about the Maenads, who were the followers of Dionysus. In Roman worship, they were known as the Bacchae, as you pointed out earlier in the episode, after Dionysus' Roman equivalent, which is Bacchus. Dionysus had this kind of rather large retinue of female followers who were the Maenads, and they were easily recognizable in art. So they often wore a fawn skin or panther cloak, because both of those were associated as animals that were worshipped with Dionysus. They were barefoot, which both signified their wildness both as women and the wildness of Dionysus. Their hair was left loose, and their garments were usually described as unkempt. I mean... Is there a cooler group of people in Greek mythology? I think not. I mean, let's think about it, Amanda. How many drunk women have you seen walk through New York City without their shoes on, just looking unkempt, their hair not as nice as when they left the house? That's true. I completely agree. Or like, you know, the winter coat over the party dress like that. That's kind of like the askew party dress. I love that image. But I also am thinking about if you're a Greek woman who doesn't want to pin your hair up and wear your toga and put on your, you know, uncomfortable sandals and be held to the standards of what people expect when they look at you. This sounds like a pretty fun way to live outside of those expectations. Uh, Amanda, you've done a thing where you, a few lines into my outline, I basically (laughs) say the same thing. Let's get there. Great. So basically, they were often depicted as holding this either staff or wand made of fennel, which was topped with a pine cone, which was representative of Dionysus as a fertility god. I also want to note that when we're talking about the Maenads, we're talking not only about like a mythological group of women, but also a historical worshippers of Dionysus. So there is a great quote from a great article that is called The Maenads colon The Women of Bacchus by Danielle McKay, which I recommend checking out. It's pretty easy to find on the internet. But here's the quote, which is, The ancient women of Bacchus are one of the most prolific groups in surviving religious imagery from antiquity. Artists and sculptors throughout the ages have made them their subjects. These wild women who engaged in uninhibited frenzy were considered a mystery even in the ancient world. For the ancients, the Maenads represented the dangers of women left unchaperoned by male authority. Mm -hmm. Yet for many women, the worship of Bacchus allowed them to experience what life could be like as an unfettered Maenad. Totally. And there probably were people for whom... Getting drunk was the only sort of conceivable cover that they could put in their minds or explanation for why a woman would act like that versus somebody saying like, no, I want to like laugh and fart and like make dirty jokes and like run around and, you know, dress as is comfortable. And I can totally understand why a chemical that alters your inhibitions is either how these women can access that or the sort of like palatable or more palatable explanation for why on earth a woman would want to act that way. And I think that's a great point because a lot of the stories that we tell about Dionysus and Bacchus and the people that followed him are all about these kind of like, they were driven into a frenzy. They were like not themselves is basically what it is. And so that is very much like a patriarchal explanation for why women would not fall into the societal roles that are expected of them. Yeah. And in ancient Greece and today, one of the reasons that we as a 
heteropatriarchal white supremacist <laughs> colonizer society find it so important to legislate people's bodies, identities, rights, autonomy is because we as society like need that structure to prevent them from doing the thing we are so scared of. And without it and the intoxicating freedom and affirmation of doing what you feel like being yourself among people who get it is something that is very dangerous to to people in power. Yes. And I will 100% agree with you that the Greeks also saw it as a very dangerous thing. Here's the Edith Hamilton description of the Maenads, which is women frenzied with wine. They rushed through woods and over mountains, uttering sharp cries, waving pine coned tip wands, swept away in a fierce ecstasy. Nothing could stop them. They would tear to pieces the wild creatures they met and devour the bloody shreds of flesh. They sang, Oh, sweet upon the mountain, the dancing and the singing, the maddening rushing flight. Oh, sweet to sink to earth outworn when the wild goat has been hunted and caught. Oh, the joy of the blood and the raw red flesh. Mm, dang. I'm really feeling and channeling the maenads in my life right now, Amanda. Right. The idea of going into the woods and ripping apart things seems really nice right now. Yeah, it does. So the worship of Dionysus, much like Dionysus himself, is twofold. It is both freedom and ecstasy as well as savage brutality. An example of which is when Dionysus came to spread the worship to the city of Thebes. And the king there, who is Dionysus's own cousin, refused him and tried to force him to leave the city. Now, Amanda, you might recognize the plot of this because this is the plot of Euripides' play, The Bacchae, which was performed first in 405 BCE. Sure is. Damn, dude. And I saw it in 2008 at the National Theater in London. And you'll see why, because it is an impactful story. He forces Dionysus to leave the city. Dionysus instead, with his revelry, recruits many of the Thebian women into his worship, including his aunt, who is the king's own mother. So when the king came to the wilderness to demand that the women return to the city, he found that they have been, in the classic Greek definition of what we're talking about, driven to madness yep. by Dionysus. And they, thinking that the king was some sort of wild beast like a mountain lion, tore him apart limb from limb. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Powerful to see stage, let me tell you that. Oh, yeah, I can only imagine. So as the story shows, the Greeks were very aware that as the god of wine, Dionysus was not only a merrymaker, but could bring down the fall of man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we love that for him. We do. Speaking of Euripides, one of the aspects of Dionysus that we haven't talked about yet is his domain over theater. A place for lots of weirdos. We love it there. Exactly. So the Festival of Dionysus, known as the Great Dionysia, was a theatrical event rather than a sporting event like many of the other gods' festivals were. Every year in early spring, usually around like March time now in our modern calendar, playwrights would compete to entertain the Athenian citizenry. The plays would change year to year, but the one constant was the festival of renewal that happened. So a procession would carry a sacred statue of Dionysus into the theater, where the procession would then sing and march around with giant phalluses, naturally, as well as drinking large amounts of wine and general debauchery occurring, right? Gotta add it to our uh, our annual calendar of Greek festivals to bring back. We do. We truly do. So after a night of recovery, mostly for the hangovers, <laughs> the next day 
orphans of Athenian wars would be paraded out to honor their fathers who had died in war and were given the front rows of the theater, which I think is uh, very sweet and very nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was nice. More plays were performed that day, usually in the order of three tragedies and then a comedic show. And then that pattern would repeat throughout the festival for four days. Fascinating. Do you want to know why it's three tragedies and then a comedy? I am dying to know. Okay, so the three tragedies would be first to like get everyone like super emotional. And like, again, we talked about the kind of like gender role dichotomy of Dionysus. So basically the tragedies were like for the women, for them to feel their feminine feelings. And then they would do the comedic show so that the more masculine feelings could come out. And then everyone would be like in the mood to like party and be bawdy and make fart jokes for the rest of the night. Ancient wisdom, right? Like I I get it. That's really interesting. Yeah. So on the fifth day, five comedic plays were performed. Party hard the rest of that night. Damn. Another day of recovery. And then on the final day of the festival, a winner for best play was announced and then the festival would come to an end. That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's it's a good time, man. I want to go to a festival like this. It seems great. I can just picture us being there and not understanding a word of the ancient Greek in which these plays are spoken and just like observing the spectacle. Absolutely. I think that would be uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> I'm also now picturing us as Wishbone the dog in matching hats, one oh. small, one big. Oh. Uh, it would be adorable. It's like watching Shakespeare where it's like, I don't exactly know what's being said all the time, but I get the general vibe. Yeah. And like, if I saw like a guy come out with like a big phallus, I would know like, that's funny. That's funny shit. It's funny shit right there. That's funny, funny shit, shit right, right there. there. And then finally, Amanda, kind of going from plays to poetry, it's Poetry Corner. Always. We couldn't end It's All Great to Me on anything but a poetry corner. Exactly. So the one that I want to share with you today is the epod, which is from the first ode from the Bacchae. So here it is, since we just talked about the Bacchae. Oh, hell yeah. Ecstasy is in the mountains when clad in the sacred garment, the fawn skin, the god is running with his sacred band and then just up and tumbles to the ground while in pursuit of raw flesh joy, a slain goat's blood. He dashes from the Phrygian and Lydian mountains. Yes, the roaring one is leader of the dance. Aha! (laughs) Milk flows among the grasses, red wine flows, the bee's sweet nectar flows. Bees! Waving a torch of pine that breathes the scent of the Syrian frankincense, the Bacchic god keeps urging idlers on with his speed, footwork and seductive chants, all the while tossing to the upper air his superabundant head of hair. Well, Over the maenad's joyous cries, his deep voice thunders words like this, Come join us, Bacchae, Bacchae, join the dance, while all around us the luxuriance of Thomas shines. Gold courses through the streams. Come sing for Dionysus. Be guided by the thundering rhythm of the kettle drums. Celebrate joyously the god of joy with Phrygian shouts and noise. The sacred pipe is playing sweet songs, sacred melodies as spurs to stimulate the stragglers up the mountainside. Enthusiastic as a foal beside her grazing mother mare, a foal who stirs her swift-footed legs to leap and leap, the Bacchant relishes her sacred 
choir. Man, I want to get up and party right now. That's so effective. It's so good. I just love this image of him playing music. You know, when you're at like a party and everyone's hit that kind of like drunkenness where like everyone's sleepy and kind of wants to go home and then someone throws a fucking banger on the the music playlist and everyone gets up and starts dancing. That's the vibe. That's the vibe. Couldn't put it better myself. Exactly. I love it. And I love that for Dionysus. I love it. I love his super abundant head of hair. I love people being joyous. I love people inviting others in to dance. I think sometimes the poems that we read and the gods that we talk about, you need to worship them because if you don't, bad things will happen. Or you need to worship them because you need something. And something about Dionysus's legacy and role has always felt like a necessary letting go for people. And I think that whether you do it aided by wine or not, there is an absolutely necessary place for ecstasy in our lives. We need to let go. We need to dance to celebrate, to be joyous and to be joyous in community. And that's something that Dionysus reminds us to do. Yeah. And it's like you said, letting go is such an important aspect of who he is as a god. And letting go does not need to be like getting drunk or, you know, getting high or anything like that. Letting go can just be like letting go of the societal expectations that are set upon you and being like, no, I will run barefooted through the woods and I will, you know, sleep in a bed of dewy meadow while Dionysus and his retinue have a party. Like, I'm cool with that. Society expects me to do one thing, but sometimes I can't always give in to what society expects of me. Totally. And as someone who has trouble letting go in the company of others from time to time, I think that starting on your own is wonderful. Whether it's, you know, listening to your body and what it wants and resting fully and joyfully, whether it's eating something that you're craving that your brain is, you know, making you feel bad about, whether it's just standing outside in the rain because it's pleasant or, you know, stretching out on the floor like a cat in a sunbeam. Like there are lots of ways to let go to feel pleasure. And hopefully that is a good starting point to joining Dionysus's reveling crowd from time to time. Yeah. And as we wrap up on Dionysus, as well as our It's All Greek to Me series, it seems like a lot of you guys really enjoyed these episodes. I am currently working on something for next year that is somewhat similar. So if there is a certain pantheon or mythology that you would like to hear more about in the same style, let me know. And uh, I think we can start looking out for episodes sometime next year. Absolutely. We have a ton of great stuff on the calendar for the rest of 2022. Lots in the hopper. Episode 300 is coming up. I wonder, wonder what we'll do. I don't know. It's very exciting. And I'm looking forward to even more years of revelry and worship with you, Julia. Yes. And in true form of Dionysus, remember listeners, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. 
Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye.